You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Hello, wonderful, beautiful church family. Welcome to Hope Bible Church online and welcome also to the church encouraged. The church encouraged our next act within our series in the book of Acts. And we continue with encouragement, I pray, for all of us watching, listening with us right now. Let me start with some encouragement right away. Uh, You are missed and you are loved. Um, I'm encouraging all of us to pray together and let's earnestly pray as well that we might be able to gather together in some way uh, sometime very soon. It's so important right now to pray for uh, the leaders of our nation and the leaders of our province. Let's pray for their wisdom and their courage that they might know the path forward as they seek to care for and lead the people of this great nation. I believe it's such an important time and so good to have some steps of moving forward as well for the encouragement within the people within our country. So we pray for clarity and wisdom within what is for sure a very difficult job as well. Encouraging you to pray for them and for our time again often. In fact, why don't we just take a moment to do that right now. Let's, let's just pray. Just to, I just encourage you right now where you are, join me in praying for these things uh, right now. So Father, we do uh, we come before you as a church, as your church, as your people. And we are praying as we are instructed by your word. We are praying for the leaders of this nation, this province, uh, our community, the municipalities. We are praying, Lord, for clarity uh, within this crisis for them. We are praying for courage in the pursuit of truth right now. We pray for truth and facts to be understood that they might lead, Lord, with effectiveness. We pray for character, character among them, character of integrity, And that all of this, within this crisis, we pray you will using this for life change in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We join together and again, Lord, we ask you, may you do this and be working and powerfully leading again so many leaders, but ultimately for the church of Jesus Christ to be advancing and to be changing lives by the gospel found in Jesus alone. May it be so, Lord, in this critical time, we pray together. In Jesus' name, let me hear you say it at home. Amen. All right, let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 17. We are moving our way through, again, the book of Acts. We are over halfway now, and we'll be moving with some speed in the weeks to come. Acts chapter 17. Today we start in the city of Thessalonica. Always loved Thessalonica. Hope to go there one day. Maybe when this whole thing is done, let's take a church tour to Thessalonica and the cities and the tour of Paul. Now that's a fun idea. Who knows? Who knows? Anyways, it's fun to dream, isn't it? And here it is within our text that we learn the famous phrase, this famous phrase, which is this, and our sermon title today, it's this, these men who have turned the world upside down. That's right, that's right there in our text. We'll see in chapter 17, these men who have turned the world upside down. That is one of the greatest compliments Christians can ever receive, uh, that we will be men and women and children who are being used to turn the world Upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. More on that to come. So as we come to Acts chapter 17 and verse 1, we learn that Paul has left Philippi 
and traveled through um, Amphipolis and Apollonia. And now they come to Thessalonica. Uh, the journey from Philippi to Thessalonica was 100 miles. And just so we can trace our steps, let's get our map out again because we love maps. Let's do that. This is, again, Paul and Silas's missionary journey. And so here they were going to Troas. And then they move on to Neapolis and Philippi where we just were stationed in chapter 16. And we read in verse 1 here, in Phippolis, they go there. And then Apollonia, they go here. And now they're going to come to Thessalonica right here again. And just in modern day Greece, then Macedonia, excited. And then we will eventually travel in this sermon to Berea as well. So you can get your positioning where they are. They are traveling. God is moving. The kingdom is advancing. The gospel is overpowering. We are encouraged by that. The powerful ministry found in Macedonia. And let's remember, too, the reason they're in Macedonia is because God explicitly called them by the Holy Spirit, don't go there, go here to Macedonia. God is working. The church is being built. And again, God is changing lives wherever he is leading them. So let's get some context when it comes to Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica was a strategic city in God's growing church. It was the capital city of Macedonia. It was a tremendous center of commerce. Um, it accessed multiple trade routes. It boasted of an excellent harbor. And it was an overall thriving first century city. And it's to this town and city that the gospel came next. It was here that the gospel would be greatly received. It was here also that the gospel would be greatly resisted. That's no surprise what else is new there. But it was here that the gospel would once again turn the world upside down. And what we know, though, as true believers in Jesus Christ, in reality what it's doing is the gospel is turning the world right side up in the position it was supposed to be in from the very beginning. But from the world's perspective, it's turning it upside down. From God's perspective and from the gospel's perspective and from the perspective of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's actually turning the world right side up. Again, more on that to come in a bit. So loved ones, be encouraged. Be encouraged. We want the church to be encouraged right now, to be encouraged by Acts chapter 17. So let's get started. Point number one is this. When it comes to the gospel, be encouraged because resistance is futile. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Be encouraged when it comes to the gospel. To resist is futile. <laughs> it's really good. Anyways, all throughout Acts, we see the fulfillment of the words of Jesus or the promise of Jesus in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a statement. That's a promise. That's a categorical guarantee that Jesus just made right there. See, hell tries to put up gates to block the gospel, to block the advancing kingdom. Hell tries to put up gates of lies and gates of deception. But the reality, Jesus says, no, I'm building my church, man, and we're going to bust through those gates of hell, and nothing and no one is going to stop me is what Jesus says. It has always been that way. It will continue to be that way. There's no government authority. There's no person. There's no virus that can stop the advancing of the kingdom of Jesus Christ be encouraged by that right away. We're watching it in Acts chapter 17. We're watching it as a church right now in our day and this year and this time. This takes us to verse 2 now of chapter 17. Take a look there with me. 
And Paul went in, went in, went into the synagogue. It's what he does. It's where he's ministering the gospel, as was his custom, the text says. And on three Sabbath days, for at least three weeks then, he was there, probably more, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, notice, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, I love this, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading uh, women. So notice that Paul here was, look at the text, he was explaining and proving and proclaiming Christ and the gospel. Now, how did Paul do this? We're not sure exactly what verses Paul would have referred to in the Old Testament, but this is all part of Paul's illumination ministry. Now, what I mean by illumination ministry is this. From the moment Paul was saved on the road to Damascus and that miraculous conversion, the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul that all of Scripture ultimately points to Jesus Christ. I mean, if you want to get simple, the Bible is one book. Remember that series? That was so encouraging. The Bible is one book focusing on the story of redemption, and the really only character you need to be concerned about is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Everything in this book ultimately points to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. This was Paul's mission as he began to minister to these Jewish people, men and women in the synagogue who had all this law and truth but did not have the understanding of the message of salvation. So we assume here in Acts chapter 17, Paul is giving such a great lesson in biblical theology in terms of Jesus being the Messiah. You can see the word there within the text of verse 3, um, explaining. Explaining means here he opened up. In fact, that Greek word in Acts 17 is the same exact word in Luke 24. Remember, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, obviously, and Acts. It's the same word in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus where the, where the two men, they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up to us the Scriptures? So that's what happened with Jesus, and then that's what's happening with Paul right now. He's opening up. He's revealing the Scriptures for the first time in this new way to show them that Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that existed, again, within the Old Testament. So live in the text. Live in the text right now, okay? Can you imagine the light bulbs of Paul being transferred to be light bulbs to his listeners. I mean, it just must have been such an incredible time as he reasoned and explained and proved these verses you've known your whole life. The actual fulfillment of them is found in Jesus Christ. He's in the synagogue of the Jews, verse 1. He's explaining and proving how encouraging this is. So Paul would have been drawing a thread, a thread of fulfillment in Jesus through passage after passage after passage. Again, how thrilling it was. Again, we wonder, um, what passages did he use? Now, I have to imagine he had to have turned to Isaiah chapter 53. Um, really, the gospel, the central gospel in the Old Testament. And let's just take one verse from this chapter, and we know the amazing verses that he was wounded for our transgressions and, you know, pierced for our iniquities and how we suffer. But look at, look at verse 10, and let's just unpack this for a second, okay? So imagine Paul sitting down with these Jewish, again, people, and he says, listen, 
Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, the suffering servant. We know here this was fulfilled in the predestined plan of God. God had predestined to send his son in this way. Um, He has put him to grief, referring to the crucifixion that was to come again through the, the son, Jesus Christ. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. Remember, this was prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born. Look at the detail of this one verse, of this one chapter, of this one book in the Old Testament. Um, That's referring to the atonement. Again, his soul makes an offering for guilt or sin. Just amazing. And then I love verse 10 too because now it's, it's giving a reference to the resurrection. But he shall see his offspring means he won't stay dead. He will be raised from the dead, and he shall prolong his days. He will live forever. Again, referring to the resurrection. So one verse, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Paul, you could see him opening and saying, look, look, look. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. Bam, 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 bam. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Maybe you're listening right now. Maybe you're watching right now, and you're here for this moment right now. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the fulfillment of all the promises All the promises of God find their yes in him. You give your life to Jesus Christ. You surrender. You believe in him. Never to be the same again. So the Lord is powerfully working. Well, how do we know? Because in chapter 17, we'll look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So, we see some are persuaded and devout Greeks and leading women. Luke is summarizing what's happening. But we also know, and I love about our study of Acts, is you go to Thessalonica, well, we got two letters to the Thessalonian church that Paul wrote after this. We can fill in some gaps and provide some detail. God was powerfully working here. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, or chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This brings so much context, doesn't it? This is Paul referring to his time with the Thessalonians. He says this, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know that? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. I love the Google Paul saying, look at the detail he expresses here. The gospel came. Notice the sequence of word and power and the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's working, full conviction is beheld and lives are absolutely, this is what happened in Thessalonica. We know it without a doubt. So encouraging, so awesome. God at work, God moving uh, in this way and changing lives. I want to encourage you too, in recent days and weeks, we have heard awesome stories of salvation in our midst. We have heard stories that can only be explained by the gospel and word and power and Holy Spirit resulting in full conviction and lives dramatically and powerfully changed again by the working of the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God. Be encouraged by and keep praying for more. Keep praying for more. This crisis God is going to use. He is and he will. So the gospel is moving forward. The Holy Spirit is changing lives. So what happens next, man? Things are going great. They're ministering. They're explaining. Lives are being changed. What happens next? Well, ready? Wait for it. Wait for it. Here's what happens next. Opposition. Resistance. The enemy. Listen, right on time. Isn't that so true? Whenever the gospel's powerfully moving forward, I mean, just wait, just wait for it. Here comes, here comes the opposition every time. Um, I remember a few weeks ago preaching 
on Easter Sunday here live. Man, I was personally so encouraged that day, just sense God's presence and just so blessed by his grace and the prayers of his people. And Sunday, you're just like, man, God's moving and it's awesome and, and lives are being impacted. And then Easter Monday, totally devastated with discouragement. Now, I've been through this, I, you know, 20 plus years of ministry in this way. And I've been through many ups, many ups and downs. I'm telling you, Easter Monday though, man, I got hit. I got slapped so hard sideways. I didn't know what was up and down or right, whatever. And I was just like, man, wow, this is big. Well, I should not be surprised though, right? The reality is you proclaim the gospel a thousand, 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 and try to be in love with Christ and to see and pray what he will do. And so the, the encouragement of the gospel and the very next day devastated by discouragement. I'm still here, man. Praise the Lord, right? Thanks to the prayers. Show up again. Here we are together for the cause of Jesus Christ. Christ, but the reality is, where the gospel comes, opposition, just, just set your watch on it. Here it comes. Here it comes. And we're going to see that in our text. We see that right now. Look at, look at chapter 5. But, or not verse 5, but, here they come. Here comes, here comes the opposition. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar. And attack the house of Jason. Man, these guys, look at that. How's that for a verse? Seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and the people in the city authorities were disturbed, the gospel will always bring disturbance. And when they had heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they, they let them go. So just notice a few things here first. Notice the jealousy of the Jews. Do I stop here long enough to say, it's amazing how many times in Acts and in the Gospels, jealousy is the motivation to kill Jesus. Jealousy is the motivation to attack the early church with Peter. Jealousy is the motivation, again, to come against Paul and Silas and Timothy. Just notice this, okay, how often jealousy incites opposition. Just pause on that for a second. Just apply that to your own life. Notice how often it's jealousy is actually the motivator, but it's under a guise of unprincipled, or I have conviction, or I believe this, or I think that, no, no, really what's happening is you say you believe something, but in reality you're just jealous, and the opposition comes because you wish you were that person, or you wish you kind of had that attention, or whatever it is, and jealousy is the motivator, but you kind of hypocritically present a different picture of something. It's just sin is so insidious. And that's what's happening in part here as well. Notice the second impact of the gospel. Uh, these men who have turned the world upside down, they meant that as a tremendous insult. But we know it's one of the greatest encouragements and compliments the church can receive, right? Um, third, notice this. Issues of religion, they won't impress the authorities, the Romans. They won't impress those who are in charge. They don't really care about the Jewish religion, right? So what they do is they bring charges that appeal to the state. Notice what they do here. Again, in verse 7, what they're trying to do is they're trying to 
charged Christians are following another king, King Jesus, as opposed to Caesar. And so that'll get the Roman authorities' attention, right? So see what they're doing? It's a very clever tactic of Satan here. If you want to really have society oppose Christendom, then get Christianity to look like it's opposing the law, opposing the rulers of the state, opposing, again, the earthly kings. When you can see Christendom opposing in that way, then you apparently, and it appears, you have power um, on your side. Now, that's interesting too, right? They, well, Christians are opposing Caesar, and so they want then Caesar to come against Christianity. In our day too, right, so many people are trying to make the issues of Christianity to seemingly oppose societal law or societal values and then disregarding the real essence of Christianity, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's happening all around us today. See, it's, it's the same tactic of Satan. Forget Jesus Christ's way, truth, and life. Let's just focus on these other issues over here. And this is what Christianity is all about, when reality is the power of the gospel could be overlooked and missed altogether. Again, Satan is very smart, and he is very clever. But listen, all of this, it's too late. The gospel seeds have been sown. The Holy Spirit is working. And ultimately, because Jesus Christ is in charge, Resistance is futile. Just before we move on to Berea, let me just have a couple of more verses from 1 Thessalonians here. Again, context. You can read 1 Thessalonians now. You'd be so encouraged. Like, oh yeah, I get the context because we've been in Acts 17, right? Look at, look at Paul's report of the believers. You became imitators of us. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. How's that? Let's go to the next slide here. That's so amazing. The word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and has gone forth everywhere. Your faith has gone. Look at how they received the gospel. That's amazing. For they themselves report the kind of reception we had, how you, listen, you turn to God from idols. And that's so great. God, may you do that now. This, this, this virus, this, this pandemic exposing idols. We turn from idols to serve the living God, the true God, the true God, and to wait for his son from heaven. Amazing, amazing. This, this is what was happening again among the Thessalonian church, and this is what we pray. Be encouraged, loved ones. Resistance to the gospel ultimately is futile. Be encouraged again, number two. Number two, our second point is this. When it comes to the word, when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the word of God, transformation is inevitable. Be encouraged, loved ones. Transformation is inevitable. So Paul and Silas, they're sent away by night to Berea. And as soon as they get there, they enter another synagogue. That's verse 10. Now look at verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That's so encouraging. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Okay, so here we meet in verses 10, 11, and 12, we meet the Bereans. Now, you probably know about the Bereans because they're very, very famous in Christendom. Why are they very famous? Verse 11. Take a verse 11. I'll give you a second. Take a look at that for a second. They have been a source of great encouragement and inspiration over centuries, 20 centuries to be exact. Such a source of encouragement. Why? The term Bereans has become synonymous with the priority of studying Scripture. 
So I want to be like a Berean. There's, 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 there's ministries called, again, uh, Berean ministry or, or, or the Bereans, which, again, synonymous for the passionate and, and detailed study of the priority of Scripture. Let's find out more here. Well, first we learn that the Bereans are more noble than those in Thessalonica. What, what does it mean by that? Well, they overall, overall, they had a greater character. They had a, a stronger demeanor. Um, they were more upright. They were more honorable than the Thessalonians. A second we learn here, look at the text, they were eager to receive the word. They had a hunger. Uh, they had a zeal for the word of God. Um, eagerness here in the text means um, a willingness. Uh, there was a readiness. They were like, let's go. Love that. I like that phrase. You know, let's go. You hear it all the time. Let's go. The attitude of like, let's get this done. Let's go. Let's learn. Let's be changed. Let's be transformed. Now, what an encouragement this must have been, right, to Paul and Silas. <laughs> they show up, and they've been through all this stuff and all the journeys and travel. They show up to Berea, and here they are, men and women, eager, leaning in, wanting to be changed, hungry and eager to know, again, again, desiring to hear from them the truth of God. You know what? I just want to be honest, again, as your pastor in this point, in this time right now, probably the hardest thing I'm doing right now as I preach this, or what I missed the most is the eagerness of seeing the people. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see the people that are eager and longing and leaning in. I mean, how many years? We just had our 16th anniversary a couple of weeks ago. I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just such, such, such grace. 16 years of people, you know, leaning in with God's word, wanting to be fed and changed and grow. What a, what a, what a blessing for me. What a blessing for our elders and leaders and staff and people to see that. Man, probably miss that the most right now. I, I miss my front row friends during our services. I miss Bill and Marlene sitting right there. I, I miss John and Jess Lindy sitting right over there in the second row. I, I miss Archie sitting right here, right here, and kneeling down to pray after the service. I miss Paul and Rose that are often sitting right over there or sometimes right there. I miss Barry sitting about four rows or five rows back right there and engaged in worship. I miss the, the Lewis family sitting over there front row Again, by the side. I miss the Richards who are usually sitting four rows back right there. I, I miss the whole no family which sits second row and basically takes up the entire second row right behind where we get to sit. I, I miss Adrian and Darius sitting right here so often in the front row. I miss Joel Kissick's great smile of joy. Often seven or eight rows back. I can see while I'm preaching is such an encouragement to me. I miss our beloved and beautiful Brazilians that are often sitting in this section right over here. I, I miss that so much. And I could go on and on and on and list more and more and more people. But here's the point. It's the joy of seeing the eagerness and the readiness for the word in his people. What a blessing. And yet, you know what I know, even in the midst where we can't gather physically right now, the hunger and the leaning in continues. It continues online. It continues in our prayer meetings. It continues with our groups. It continues with the generosity of God's people. It continues with the love being established. It continues with boxes of hope. It continues in prayer. It continues in discipleship. It continues in the Hope Institute. It continues in our D groups. It continues in our small groups. It continues in our youth. and continues in our 20s and men's and women's. It continues in our intercessory prayer team. It's continuing the hunger and the desire and the discipleship. It continues because our people in this church are so beautiful by the grace of God. 
But there's more here. Notice in verse 11. The Bereans, it says, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What do we learn there? Notice the diligence of their study. Notice this too. Notice their authority was not Paul. I mean, Paul, Paul would be used to write 13 letters in the New Testament. And yet their authority, their sole authority here was not Paul. It was the word of God. That is so awesome. What a lesson it is. We must be men and women and children. When we hear teaching, we're always examining it with the word of God because this is our authority. It's not ultimately some person up here speaking. The person is subject under the authority of Scripture. And the wisdom of the Bereans was, we're hearing this teaching. Let's find out if it matches. And of course, as Paul is giving so sound in Scripture led by the Spirit, they would find out it does match. It is true. God is working. Our lives will be saved and changed again. But it's the integrity of the authority of the word of God. Church family, let me just say this to you too. One of the great gifts of this season, as hard as it is, is the opportunity to press into the Lord and his word in a new way. We are working very hard as church leaders and as staff to feed, support, encourage, exhort, to train, and to disciple in the word. Without exception here, where the word is eagerly received and examined, listen, transformation will follow. And just speaking of this, this Wednesday, so thankful for our last three Wednesdays, Pastor Nathan and Counsel for the Heart in the midst of a pandemic. This Wednesday, we start a five-week series, Lord willing, on the 5G life intentional teaching to reinvigorate, to reestablish, to reinforce the path of discipleship. Starting this week, I get to teach this Wednesday. We'll pass it on to other pastors in our church and to pray out of that. Uh, Join us, be fed, be transformed, be hungry for the word of God as we start and go through our discipleship model, again, given to us in the 5G Live this Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Again, encouragement, instruction, Hunger for the word. Hope to see you all there as well. Listen, in, in, in this season, man, we're growing in Christ. We're growing in Christ. Don't be left behind. Do not, do not waste this opportunity. Look now um, at verse 12. In verse 12 it says this, Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Many of them believed Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Now notice, again, notice here in verse 12, notice the mention of women in this narrative again. That's very encouraging to me. You know, in fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who obviously also wrote the gospel of Luke, Luke has a constant emphasis on women believing in both of his books that he wrote. This This is so great. Further consider the last three chapters in Acts You have Lydia in Philippi. You have leading women being believed and transformed in Thessalonica. And now we have in Berea, again, the mention of women of high standing as well as men. What are we learning here? We're learning the special role of the gospel in the grace of so many women right from the start. So beautiful. Pause for a second. 
Just think about that. Luke going out of his way to keep highlighting stories of beautiful women of grace who are receiving the word and being mentioned and used as examples and that are growing in Christ and shining their light. It's just so encouraging. Again, the importance and the details here that we are seeing of men and women being used of God right from the start when it comes to the gospel and the testimony and the power and encouragement of seeing that happen within their lives. Praise the Lord for women. Amen? Men, if you're at home right now and you did not say amen and you're a man, I mean, and there's one standing beside you or something like that, like, listen, right, right, you know? Like, praise the Lord for women. Amen. And it's, I love that. I love that right here. It's so much, in fact, you know, um, this week, uh, our next segment of Truth and Troubled Times, I got to interview um, Lena Abujamra, a wonderful woman who's spoken at our Radiant Conferences, a medical doctor. Uh, so why, so fired up. I just, I loved it. This Thursday, it, it'll be released, Lord willing. Tune in. Again, receive again. Uh, and just the example that we see around us, um, that's exciting and that's encouraging. So in these examples, what's happening? The gospel is reaching the poor. I want you to notice here too, the gospel is also reaching the privileged. Women of high standing as well as men. So we see the gospel reaching the poor, but we also see the gospel reaching some of status and of wealth as well. What do we either, we know, we know from the gospels, Jesus teaches us, it is extremely difficult for the wealthy to get into heaven. Why would Jesus say that? Well, Jesus explains it's extremely difficult for the wealthy to get into heaven because wealth so often serves as a blinder to the reality of the gospel. So my wife Jill and I, were on our prayer walk, uh, prayers of hope. We're on our prayer walk again um, uh, this week. And we're walking through our neighborhood and just by the way, so encouraging, so many of you are walking the streets and praying and asking the Lord for, for salvation. Continue to do that. And so we're on our prayer walk and one of our prayers is we're going through and we're recognizing in our society in Burlington and Oakville and really Canada as a nation, the idol of wealth is probably the leading cause of blindness to the need for the gospel and salvation in Jesus Christ. So we're praying down those veils of, of blinders, of wealth, and personal security, and just the distractions of our day. Jesus Christ, help them to see their need. And thank you, God, for the grace that we, by your grace, that you have caused us to have eyes to see that our need for eternal life found in Jesus Christ, and that the blindness of wealth would not get in the way. Keep praying, keep walking, keep calling out for this. Our nation held in bondage so much to our affluence. But the gospel is moving forward here. The Holy Spirit is changing lives. Well, what happens next then? Say, the gospel is moving. The Holy Spirit is changing lives. What happens next? What happens next? Wait for it. Wait for it. Ah, here it comes. Opposition and resistance and the enemy again. Right on time. You can set your watch to it again. Take a look at verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. Wait a second, wait a second. You mean the Jews 
from the town over, and they traveled all that way just to try to, I mean, guys, get a life, eh? Like, get a, hey, 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 what's your purpose in life? To oppose grace, love, and truth. What's your purpose in life? Ah, to try to hate those who want to love people for the Savior of the world, Jesus. That, that's your life? Get a life, man, okay? But that's exactly what they're doing. This is, this is their purpose. This is what enemy, the enemy does. He gets people on his side. Their whole purpose is to oppose the truth. It says they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Notice the mention here. Notice it says in verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed. You see what's happening there? Specific opposition to God's word. Why? Because if you take away the word, man, you got no church. This is the power. This is the message. This is a special revelation given to us to understand the gospel in Jesus Christ. It's very interesting in Luke's narrative of Acts, and I hope you've been able to see this a little bit, but I'll just point out to you now. As the gospel grows in Acts, opposition grows. It's like there's like two graphs going up together. As the gospel spreads, persecution spreads as well. As, it, as the gospel increases, the persecution opposition also increases as it goes along. And these Thessalonian Jews, they're not satisfied with kicking them out of their city, but they're persecuting on the road. They go, hey, let's take persecution on the road. And you're like, man, that's, that's, that's discouraging if, again, that's kind of what your life is all about. But, the, but this is the way it works. But again, if the book of Acts tells us anything when it comes to the gospel, resistance is ultimately futile. Jesus Christ will build his church. And when it comes to the word of God, transformation is inevitable. Jesus Christ right now across this world today, he is changing hundreds and thousands and millions of lives for his glory across this entire world because, again, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In our passage today, the world is being turned upside down by the gospel. But as I said to start, in reality, though, really what the gospel is doing is turning the world right side up. The gospel turns the world right. In, in, in Genesis 3, with the... Um, a, origin of sin. In Genesis 3, that turned the world upside down. That wrecked God's plan, what he intended for creation. But ever since then, God's plan through his son Jesus is to preach the gospel for man and for women and children to be reconciled now back to God, that they might be restored and redeemed, and again, reconciled, that they might sit with upright position now and see clearly and know exactly and precisely why they live. It's the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives hope of eternal restoration. Yeah, the gospel is using turn the world upside down, but at the end of the day, again, it's turning the world right side up, and every person who truly sees it, listen, every person who truly sees it will never be the same again. So we learn here in Acts 17, and I'll wrap up here. When the gospel reaches you, it transforms you. And when it transforms you, it calls you to see the same in others. Let's end with the song that we had sung before um, this message. I love this song. When the saints, it's called by Sarah Girls, and at the end of that song, listen, every situation described here is like a trial or difficulty. But in the end, the power of the gospel, when it reaches us, it transforms us, it calls us. I see the long, quiet walk along the underground railroad. I see the slave awakening to the value of her soul. I see the young missionary and the angry spear. I see his family returning with no trace of fear. I see the long, hard shadows of Calcutta, 
Calcutta nights, I see the sister standing by the dying man's side. I see the young girl huddled on the brothel floor. I love this line. I see the man of passion come and kicking down the door. It's so good. I see, here comes Jesus. I see the man of sorrows and his long troubled road. I see the world on his shoulders and my easy load. And when the saints go marching in, and she says, I want to be one of them. Now listen, when the saints go marching into heaven, when the saints go marching in, man, that is, that is the greatest hope we can ever have. That's the whole point, again, of the gospel, seeing as many people as possible. We are marching into heaven with all the hope we have. Death is not to be feared. Again, the victory we have over death because of Jesus Christ. Are you part of the saints that are going marching in because of your faith in the grace and the gift of Jesus Christ as Savior? I implore you today, give your life to Jesus Christ to transform you and to call you to reach others for the same purpose. May it be so. May it be so today. Oh God, would you encourage your church? God, would you use Acts 17? Would you bless us and change us and use us in this critical, opportune time for you? May it be so. Let's just pray together. Yes, Lord, may it be so indeed. I pray you are working. I pray you are being glorified right now. I pray you are encouraging greatly. You are working in Thessalonica. You are working in Berea in the midst of opposition and difficulty. And you are working right now. Lord, lead people to contact our church and give their life to Christ. Lead people to be prayed for, Lord, right now. Lead people to bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, Lord, do all these things now. Be glorified. We're seeking so much to be used of you, Lord. We want to. Bless our church. Bring favor to our church. Lord, protect our church. Encourage your church. And here at Hope Bible Church, we pray together in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen.